Is she really going out with him? Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Alright, this week it is another punk legend. Last week we got to hear from Steve Diggle of the Buzzcocks, and this week it is Brian James, guitarist and co-founder of The Damned. Now I think everybody really knows the story here. The Damned were really the first British punk band signed to a major label that released a single, this song right here, New Rose, and that toured the United States. And they only lasted, though, a couple of years in the original incarnation. They put out a second album produced by Nick Mason of Pink Floyd, of all people. It was less successful, and the band really broke up. Brian went on to play guitar for a couple of years for his hero, Iggy Pop. And then he got with Stiv Vaders and formed a band that means a lot to me, the Lords of the New Church. And that carried them throughout the 80s. They put out a few albums, had such incredible... I love the Lords of the New Church. Unfortunately, as we all know, Stiv went on, he died. And after that, Brian really sort of bounced around. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way. What you'll find out in this conversation is that's the way he likes it. Brian is very much a restless soul. He likes to collaborate with people. He likes to do all kinds of different genres. He doesn't like to sit still in one spot for too long. He's put out some solo albums. He's got some uh, super groups going on, one that, that involves Wayne Kramer and Stuart Copeland. I mean, he's done a little bit of everything. So again, we get to hear some British punk history from a guy who was there and lived it. I love Brian. I love his music and everything he's done. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. He called me from his home in London. Okay, so I gotta, um, I gotta tell you, the Lords of the New Church were a very formative band for me. It was one of those situations where, you know, I was a teenager, a little, uh, a Mormon teenager in Salt Lake City, Utah, and one of my oh, best, right, okay, yeah, one of my best friends growing up, Brandon Nordgren. He had the Killer Lords tape, and he uh, he loaned it to me, and. You know, a little, first of all, you know, growing up in a Mormon community, hearing something, the Lords of the New Church, that sounds really provocative. And then the music was was so uh, compelling and you, it felt like I had my hands on some contraband or something, you know, it was something really <laughs> illicit, like I wasn't supposed to have this, but I had it anyway. And it was coming from England, some far off country. And it what you know, it's not something you'll see on the end racks in a, in a record store. It was uh, it was this very provocative scary kind of scary thing but that's what made it so exciting and so i became Good. a fan of the band and of you and of every you know ever since then and that you know i was probably 13 14 15 years old but i'm curious for you when did you know when did the punk you've devoted your life to this lifestyle and this culture when did it first seep into your blood to the point where you thought this is what i want to do 
with my life? Well, I mean, I, I was brought up on kind of like, you know, I mean, the first stuff I started playing on guitar was like bluesy kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, and that came through listening to the Rolling Stones and the pretty things and stuff. And you'd look to see who... Uh, who wrote the stuff, and then you check out the originals, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I went through kind of stages of that and uh, kind of basically got my, my licks together and started writing songs. Then I discovered the Stooges. Oh. Now, that was the band that really turned my, 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 my whole brain around and my heart around. You know? The first Stooges I heard was Funhouse album. First of all, it was the drums, the way the drums started it. And then when, when Iggy's voice started, it was like, fuck, this is cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, I, I, I mean, I, I love many guitar players through the years and stuff. And, and uh, Ron Ashton wasn't exactly, he didn't match up to a lot of players. But mm -hmm. it was enough that the voice and the drums, yeah. that's really what killed me. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, later on in the album, you had the sax coming in. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm a big jazz fan. I was turned on a jazz by mm. a, a, a friend of mine and his parents when I was about 14, 15 years old. Mm. So hearing that put together with this tough rock and roll music, it was just like, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, so I got together. I'd been playing like blues stuff and that, you know, and I was kind of playing you know, in blues bands and, and stuff, which was a little bit kind of progressive in a way that we'd mm -hmm. be writing songs and stuff like that. And then once I'd heard the Stooges, I, I, I turned around to the guys I was playing and said, no, 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 no. I've got another <laughs> drummer I want to play with. I'm going to go play with him. And he was a guy who was brought up on the pretty things and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. And I played in some Stooges and, and, and of course, then the MC5, they came over to England and it was like, fuck me, what we got <laughs> going on here, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that was it. We formed a band called Bastard and uh, that's what I've been doing ever since, you know? Ever since. Kind of, I was playing rock and roll, but with a tough, with a lot of attitude. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. it was all about. That's you know? crazy. And then, of course, I mean, the, the damned, yeah. the damned up later on. And then after the dance, I was lucky enough to play with a man himself, with Iggy. Yeah, you know? I know. I want and to ask I, you about all this stuff. Let's go back right. to the Damned for just a second. I mean, you know, the Damned today are primarily, they're known for being a great band, but they, 
they're known for being the first band. You know, they're the first band to release a single. They're the first, or That's punk it. band, I should say. The first punk band yeah. to release a single, release an album, tour the States. Um, when this was happening, is anyone saying to you, Brian, you're about to make history. Do you realize that no other punk band has ever put out a single before? We should say that single is New Rose, classic track, yeah. obviously. Um, or were you just going with the motions and it just so happened that you guys were the first? We met Jake at Stiff Records, the guy who was running Stiff. Him and Dave Robinson were the guys, Jake Riviera and Dave Robinson. And Jake said, look, that song of yours, New Rose, I really want to put it out as a single. And this was a little record company starting up, a little indie company. Mm -hmm. We had interest of like sort of major companies, but it, it just didn't feel right. De de dealing with these people in suits and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And we met Jake. And he, he, he was talking about, I mean, he met Richard Hell. He knew about the, the, the original Heartbreakers, you know, with Johnny uh -huh. Funders and Richard Hell and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. He knew about all that music. He used to be the term manager of Dr. Feelgood. So he's used to dealing with mm. people who, with a bit of attitude and stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, particularly Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. So um, that's, that's what happened. He said, look. Let's just get it out, you know, mm -hmm. let's not mess about. And so we did, you know. Yeah. But yeah. It, I'm sure he had in his mind, Jake, um, the kind of thing like, let's be first. Yeah. You know, let's get yeah. it out before the pistols, you know. Right. The Clash really weren't contenders then. They'd hardly started. Mm. So it was just us and the pistols, really, you know. Okay, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So let me, okay, so a couple more questions. First of all, what are you guys covered in on the cover of the Damned album? What's all over you? It's kind of um, whipped cream and, is and stuff and a little bit of ketchup there. and <laughs> I don't know. These two girls did it to us, right? We, we didn't expect it, right? Really? And one okay. of the girls I was going out with at the time. <laughs> and she was keeping it a real secret. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and uh, yeah, they just surprised us. Um, the photographer was, was the husband of the other girl. Was two okay. girls had a band called Snatch. Uh, Judy, I was going out with, and Patty... Um, was was married to the uh, okay. photographer, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that that's what happened. So when when the session was over, it was all like, yeah, yeah, you know, like sort <laughs> of, uh, we were kind of laughing about it. Really, we 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 got into the spirit of it. We didn't get yeah. angry or nothing like that. We just went along sure. with it. You know? Okay, sure. And, well, it's a great and, cover. I've just always wondered what was yeah, what was what but that was, was it. all over. Barney Bubbles, who was the art director of Stiff Records. He said, we got a whole bunch of pictures to choose from for the, for the cover, but I like these. Uh -huh. And we, we looked at it and we thought, oh, yeah. No one's yeah. ever put out an album with a cover <laughs> like that, you know. This is new. <laughs> and oh, it's so where we, we was at. We didn't give a fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So how did your life change? I mean, how you know, you go from this kind of struggling musician bouncing around to different punk bands, really feeling this energy, and suddenly the thing, the punk that you've decided to back with your heart and soul is now a, a big deal. You know, the pistols are a deal. Well, it kind You're of, played it, on the it radio. got kind of lost. It got it? lost. It got lost. Yeah. Wow. I mean, 76 was a good year, you know, but uh -huh. during 77, you, you saw a lot of other bands coming up and instead of doing their own thing, they're kind of copying us or mm. they're copying the pistols or the glass or yeah. one of the other, you know, like buscocks or whatever. You get all these, they, they the kind of second league bands, is what I kind of call them, but yeah. and and it was a bit of a shame, you know. But 
you know, mm. there was odd shining things coming through, you know, here, there, yeah. and everywhere, particularly like in the States and, and, and in, you know, other countries, you know. Right, right. It, it, England kind of, London lost it. The, the press took over. It became fashionable, which is a killer. That's yeah. a fucking killer. Yeah, you know, that'll do especially it. Especially on something like, a, a, like, like Attitude, you know. I mean, yeah. You know. yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, one other thing. I heard that you know everyone always tries to sing the neat 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 part as fast as it's being sung on the record I've heard that that yeah. was sped up. Is that correct? No, a little bit. No. Oh, I thought I heard that somewhere. <clears throat> that the secret is that Neat yeah. Neat got slightly sped up in the recording to make it sound even cooler. Nick Lowe produced that <laughs> no, album, didn't he? No, 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 no. We didn't. No, 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 no. We didn't cheat. You know, oh. we, we put it down the way it is, and Nick Nick Lowe ca- captured it. You know. Okay. No, no, no. Oh, that's great. Okay, I've I've been I heard it was kind of an urban legend. So that's cool. Nah. What was it like working with Nick, and how did he? How did you get? How did you pick him, or did he get assigned to you to produce that album? Well, he was good friends with Jake, basically, mm. and we met Jake going on a coach over to a place called Mont de Marsan in, in the south of France to do mm. a festival, which was in. And Jake was the guy on the English end who arranged the bands, and there was a guy in, in France called Mark Mark Zanetti. Who, who, who sorted out the French end? He was in the ballroom down in the south of France, mm-hmm. and uh, Nick was on on board the bus as well on the coach, right? And because yeah. he was going to play, he was there was a talk of him playing with Richard Hell in a band called Mirrors, but uh-huh. Richard Hell didn't didn't come over, and Nick was just he just come along for the ride and get drunk and have fun with people, you know, mm-hmm. and we got on really well with Nick, you know, like. They had a, a rat, the, the, the drummer, and Nick had a bit of a kind of a playful scuffle on the thing and rat ripped Nick's prize Eddie Cochran T-shirt off him. Mm. And since then, they've become really good friends, you know. <laughs> and, and so when it comes to a producer, like we're talking with Jake, and he said, well, you know, Nick would be pretty good at it, you know. And we mm. thought, okay, well, let's, let's do the, the single and see how that goes. And then if we're going to do an album with you guys, then maybe Nick could do the album too. And the okay. single sounded fantastic. Yeah, so it was just like, yeah, okay, man. You know, yeah. Let's do the album, you know. That's great. Okay. 
who would have ever guessed that he would go on to have the kind of career that he did? Or maybe you did. I mean, he's touched nah. on, he's basically like a, oh, you know, kind of like a Buck Owens country type, old school country guy now, but so dapper and, <laughs> you know, he's great. I love Nick Lowe, but he, he wouldn't seem like the obvious choice for a punk band at nah, that time. No, nah. yeah. no, nah, of course not. No, nah, but that, that's the beauty of it. And he's a yeah. rock and roller. You know, yeah, the heart. You that's, that's Nicky. You know, he, he's yeah. a rock and roller, man. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were touring the States, what, what kind of reception did you get? Did anyone in the States even know who you were? Or were you playing largely to punk clubs that were tapped into that kind of what was happening? Well, we only played on the first tour, we, we only played four places. We played CBGB's oh. in New nice. York. And they'd heard about us because yeah. New York had a flourishing kind of punk scene of its own with the Ramones, the Heartbreakers, Blondie and all them bands, right? Sure. And we played at the heart of it in CBGB's. We played with the Dead Boys playing with us. Oh, of course. Doing like two, show, two shows a night for like three or four nights. So that was fantastic. But then we went to Boston and they didn't know us at all. We played mm. at a place called the Rat Club. And it was just a, like a bunch of like students and stuff who really didn't understand what we were sitting there eating pizza. It was like, what the fuck? What are you doing? This is a rock and roll gig. What's the matter with you? You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah eating. So the next night we played two nights. So the second night we we took a a whole bunch of pizza on stage of us with a couple of tables. Sat there. And played the first number, then picked up all the pizza and threw it at them. And then, then we got a reaction. Then we got yeah. a reaction. Then, then they either walked out or they or they stayed and enjoyed the show. You know, that is great. But they didn't. They didn't think to throw back. But you know, like, there you go. <laughs> Luckily, yeah. But after there, we went to Los Angeles, and in LA, there was like there was a band called the, the Screamers. I think they were called. A uh, couple of guys, and we stayed around their place, and they were the nearest thing to punk that was there. Mm. There was no nothing, no kind of punk bands. Yeah. Right? We we played the um, the Starwood there, but mm. by the time we finished, people were fucking. They're really digging it. They really yeah. got. And the next thing we know, that like, there's all these bands starting up in Los Angeles, you know. Yeah. But then yeah. we went to San Francisco for the last gigs. A couple of places, a couple of gigs at a place called the Mabuhay Gardens, mm. and um, supporting us was a, a band that obviously heard like stuff from England, and they knew about the New York scene. They were really clued up as well. Mm. So in two places, they were they were kind of you know, hip to what was going on, yeah. and the other two, they didn't have a clue. You know. Huh. Yeah, I wonder what you mentioned. Those four shows; those are all on you know ob- obviously the coasts. I wonder what it would have been like for the dam to play like Oklahoma City or, you know what I mean, or Des Moines or Boise or one of these like middle America towns that would have just had their yeah. minds blown. I don't you know? know. Like those sort of places, I would think it would be similar to, to L.A. and uh, Boston. Oh, maybe. But I think if, if we'd have played somewhere like Chicago or Detroit yeah. or maybe even somewhere in Texas, you yeah. know, yeah. that if people could get over the way we looked and just get into the music, then we would have done well, you know, yeah. particularly Detroit, I think. Sure, you know, Detroit would have loved you. With yeah, because that's the whole and MC5, the absolutely. And the, yeah, yeah. You mean yeah. That, we, we would have gone down a, a storm down, I'm sure. Absolutely, it, you know? okay. Yeah. Okay, so the second album, the second Damned album, Music for Pleasure, it's produced by Nick Mason of Peak Floyd, of all things. How does that happen? And this apparently led to, you know, everyone deciding to call it quits. Is that right? 
Was it well, because of Nick well, Mason or was it internal fighting? Oh, no. I mean, it wasn't because of Nick Mason. I mean, the poor guy, he didn't have a clue, you know. Really? Yeah, he but... was kind of, we wanted to get Sid Barrett, but Sid oh. was in no, you know, the original songwriter, guitar player, singer at Pink Floyd. We thought that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, that there was a lot of things that went in the mix there. There was like the fact that we, we were rushed into the second album. We, I had a couple of songs written. And apart from that, there was just some ideas. Rat had an idea. Captain had an idea. You know, and we were really pushed into doing it. So anyway, the Floyd had a studio called Britannia Row. A big place, big place, very plush, very, very soulless place. They said, look, it, it was a deal between the publishers and somebody else who shared the same building. And they said, well, you can't get Sid Barrett. He's too ill. Well, Nick Mason said he would like to give it a shot. And we're thinking, well, we ain't got anybody else here. We're meant to be in the studio in like a month or so. We've got to think about writing songs. We thought, okay, well, let's just give it a shot, see what happens. You know, oh. ain't going to cost us much to do it and all that, you know, because... Uh, right. Stiff being indie, you know, I mean, it, money was very, very important, you know, having enough sure. to get by, you know, do things, you know. So it was like an experiment, really. And it, it didn't really... I've listened to it a few times since, and I like it better now. At the time, yeah. I thought, nah, nah. Yeah. It didn't, but it, it, there were some good ideas on it and stuff, mm -hmm. and it's, it's an okay album. But yeah. that kind of, like, that winded us a little bit. And yeah. then Rat decided he wanted to leave he kind of had enough we've been partying hard for a year gigging okay. and and uh just having fun man you know yeah I and bet. uh rat kind of had a little mini breakdown he said he didn't but i reckon he did you know he yeah. was building campfires in the middle of his hotel room oh, and down in bottles and brandy and yeah. jesus he was getting like out of control right uh -huh. And in the end, he said, look, I can't take this anymore. I've got to get out of here. So halfway through a French tour, he left. What didn't help was like a month or so previous, I got in another guitar player because I, I wanted to expand the sound and give it a bit more of a kind of MC5 double guitar attack, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that didn't go down too well with like uh, Rat and Captain. So we got, anyway, we got another drummer in and mm -hmm. we continued with the other guitar player. And it just wasn't the same without Rat, because me and Rat started a damned in the first place. And we right. afterwards, we, yeah, we were the first ones. And then we found, like, Ray, who turned into Captain, and Dave. Just wasn't the same. So I turned yeah. around to the guys in early 78 and said, look, let's knock it on the head. It ain't the same, man. You know, right. I want to play with other musicians. And I've always, I always want to play with different musicians. I, I can't stay with the same players all the time, you know. Okay. I don't know how bands do it just staying with the same. There's so many great players out there. Sure. And I like to play. You sure. Know? I like to learn off people, you know. Yeah, I and bet. Then, yeah. Do you prefer, and, uh, uh, do you like to play with people who even play different music than you? I mean, do you find that well, just not, as satisfying? Or do you like playing with people as, who do what you do? Well, I like playing with people who've got a similar attitude. Yeah, okay. You know, and that can be dramas, whatever. Yeah. You know, and they might have different, like one of my favorite drummers, like we played a lot back in, in the 70s, is Stuart from the police, yeah. Stuart yeah. Copeland, right? Right. Now, he's a drummer 
who's got all kinds of tricks up his sleeve, you know, and one of them is the way he treats rock and roll. But he's also got that wonderful kind of reggae thing that he gets into and, and a kind of jazzy thing in his own particular style. Yeah, you know? very much. And they're yeah. the players that I like like that, you know. It's like mm-hmm. the guy who's, who turned me on to jazz with his parents. Great jazz drummer. I'm still playing with him. He's, he's like a, a dear, dear friend of mine, a girl called Malcolm Mortimer. A wonderful, wonderful drummer, and yeah. he's kind of like inspired by people like Elvin Jones, you know. Mm. Well, Elvin Jones was a big inspiration to to Mitch Mitchell, who played with oh, Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Uh-huh. And so you got that kind of union thing of, of a yeah. drummer and a and a musician and a, a, you know like a sax player firing off each other, and yeah. you've got the same thing with Hendrix and Mitchell, you know, they, the guitar and the drums firing off each other, right. You know? Right. So okay. I, I was used to doing that with Malcolm. And so when I met Rat, he he was doing the same thing, a little bit more in a kind of Keith Moon way, but still mm-hmm. the same thing, firing off me, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it was like, yeah, dig it, dig it. So yeah. this is what I look for. I mean, drummers are, are what I really love, you know, playing with. Sure. And, you know, obviously it's nice to play with a, a great sax player, another guitar player or whatever, you know? Yeah. But okay. It's, it's nice. It's nice to. Um, it's it's a spur, and you like to right. think that you're spurring them, so they spur you a bit more, and Good you know, you, uh, yeah, it becomes kind of avant-garde, but at I, the same time, it, it's it's total commitment and attitude, you know. Well, that's great. I um, yeah, I've always thought you know, Pink Floyd to seems like the kind of band that someone like The Damned would have been uh, fighting against. You know, like we're here yeah. to be the antidote to a band like Pink Floyd. And yet here, Nick Mason comes over and produces you. I like that album too. It's not, you know, it's not a straightforward punk album like the first one is, but it's still got its own, you know, merit and qualities on its own. When you leave the dam, when the dam comes to an end, what do you decide to do? I mean, I know you go from there. I believe you're in Chelsea. You'll have to tell us exactly what Chelsea is because it's it's a band that seems well, to be Chelsea. known more for the people that go through it. Um, oh, well, and then no, also no, playing with that, Iggy, right? 
Yeah, well, I, I wasn't in Chelsea at all. Oh, Chelsea's, I thought you uh, were. Gene October's band. No, 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 I was never oh, in. Oh, I read that you I'd were. I'd help okay. them out. I'd play a guitar solo on, 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 on some of their songs. They recorded, their manager is the same manager that, that, that managed me, like, um, ah. after the dance. It was Miles, Miles Copeland. And he got me in to do various overdubs on, on Chelsea stuff if the guitar player was fucking up and stuff like that. Mm. Unbeknown to the guys in Chelsea, I'd just go in and do it, you know. So there was that association. That, I mean, Gene, their singer, I see him all the time. He's, he's, a, he's a good friend, you know. Oh, good. But okay. I, I never joined him. Ah, no. okay. I but had no, that so wrong. Straight after the, after the dams, I formed a band called Tans the Youth. With, which, which uh, had a keyboard player in it. I wanted to, mm. I wanted to uh, experiment with a keyboard player. Which, which we put out a single. Then there was a bit of weirdness within the band of friction about songwriting and stuff. Mm. And so we split up. And then I got the call from Iggy. Do you want to come play with me? What was that yeah. like? Your hero. <laughs> you know, the guy who kicked you off on all this now wants you to come play with him. I know. I couldn't believe it. I thought somebody winded me up, you know. <laughs> somebody like, you know, taking a piss out of me. Right. And it's like... <laughs> And once I, I found out it really was him, you know, I went down and met him and stuff, and we had a play. And he and he and he, he said, right, okay, what do you want to play? And I said, well, I want to play every single song you've done, man. That's what I want to do. Right. <laughs> you know. And so right. he played a whole bunch of Stooges stuff, and then we picked some numbers from that, and he, he just recorded a new album, and we were promoting a different album with New Values. We promoted yeah. in America when we toured. And it was good fun, you know, because also yeah. on base we had Glenn Matlock from the oh, Pistols, so and good. he was a friend right. already, so it was kind of like, it was an easy thing. Yeah. And Iggy was great. I mean, he was a really nice guy, and uh, it, it, it was a real pleasure, it was really, as well as a learning experience, playing with someone like that. It was amazing, you know. Was he even remotely cleaned up at this point, drug-wise? or was Oh, it, yeah. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. he was. When we were rehearsing, he didn't do nothing. He didn't do okay. nothing. He was in spot condition, you know. He'd, he'd, yeah. he'd been through the, the Bowie period, and, and Bowie had helped him a lot and uh -huh. got him clean and all this sort of stuff. But then when we started playing, then the old Iggy kind of come out a bit mm -hmm. and bottles of whiskey and, and lines of this, that, and the other, and whatever, you yeah. know. But... um it was uh, it was all good fun. It was oh, really, good. really good fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a dream come true, you know. I bet. Uh, uh, yeah, What's at your the favorite? End of it, oh, oh, go ahead. 
Sorry, go at ahead. the end of it, I couldn't wait to get back to my band, though. You know, really, I, I had another new rock and roll band. Oh, absolutely, I like playing my songs too. You know, well, yeah. Oh, see, that's the yeah. that's what I'm finding here is that you kind of jump from you're like a frog that jumps from lily pad to lily pad. You just you don't you get kind of itchy in in one spot too long, even if that means playing with your hero. You know, yeah, that's crazy. You Absolutely. just rather get out, get back into a new band and try something different. And was the new band yeah. then uh, Lords of the New Church? Yeah, well, I, me and Steve met on that first those first gigs you in New York with the Dead Boys, right? Yeah, and we kind of like become friends, and and uh, he phoned me up one time back in when was it? Uh, about oh I don't know in the late seventies he had a, a a solo band he let, he split Dead Boys up and did this uh, album called Disconnected and he was doing a few gigs around the East Coast and he phoned me up and said hey you want to come over and play some guitar on this and I said yeah sure I do so he played like some old Dead Boys and a couple of damn songs and yeah. a few songs off his new album and we really kind of like cemented our friendship. And then we decided, okay, look, let's just get a band together. And uh, so he came over to England, and, and we started up the Lords. You know, that's amazing. I mean, he's probably yeah. the next closest thing to Iggy there's ever been in a lot of ways. Oh man, know? he's he's like Iggy's bastard son. You know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the sound for Lords of the New Church, obviously, it's it's more goth. You know, sort of like the cure almost or killing joke kind of what they were doing around the eighties. It's less punk inspired. Was that on purpose? Had you felt, cause I know yeah, a lot we, of people we, felt like punk had sort of run its course, you know, it had a moment, but you can only go so far with it. And then you got to expand and you sounding like somebody who likes to expand with the sound and increase the thing, you know, experiment with, with other instruments. And of course yeah. the players you're playing with are different. I mean, the drummer who played with us, Nick, he he weren't a straight out rock and roll player. He played a lot on the toms and stuff like that. And through playing with him and the bass player Dave, we kind of um, we formed this kind of sound of our own. And we found within it we could take on different kind of genres of music and stuff. You know. Yeah. So you know, but, I mean, we played. There was a, a bunch of. I mean, at heart, it was a rock and roll band. There's no sure, two ways about absolutely. it, and particularly when it comes to doing like the live gigs and stuff like that. But we like to kind of dip our toes in a few other little mm -hmm. ponds there, and you know, just experiment a bit and keep it interesting. I think for us and also our potential audience, you know. Yeah, yeah. Were you getting played on the radio? I mean, I know. I think I remember "Open Your Eyes" maybe getting a little bit of radio play. On alternative yeah. radio. Video games train the kids for a while. Only she can have fashion stores. Life orders done the job. This is filled with a rich delight. Assassination politics. Violence rules within our nation's midst. Well, ignorance is the The actors lousy, but the blind don't know. Open your 
Were you there singles going out? Were you hearing yourself on the radio? Were you touring with other, right. I don't know, we did were. you open for The Cure or something? No, no, we didn't go open for The Cure or nothing. I just threw but, that um, out, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but um, we, we were being played on college radio. Okay. And MTV had just started up. They, it just started, right? Yeah. And so we, we had like Open Your Eyes and then Dance With Me and stuff on, on MTV. kind of build through that built through that but the thing is at the same time as us coming out irs records got their act together and the, the, the guy who booked the bands on irs was another copeland ian copeland so mm-hmm. you've got you've got stewart <laughs> you've got miles and you've got ian right right between a lot of them they kind of like they covered most sides of the, of the, of the industry now ian was a real right rocker at heart and, and he loved the challenge. So he'd book us everywhere. I mean, North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, I mean, just everywhere in America. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. I, like, the Lords must have been to more places in America than your average American, you know, <laughs> we, we <were laughs> everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun seeing different people. And by this time, because of MTV and, and the college radios, People had heard some of our stuff, so we got good audiences coming down, and they got off on it. You know, it was, nice. it was great. Texas Who, was wonderful. You know, really, really good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who they jumped on with? it pretty quick once. Yeah, we, uh, you know, like Dallas was good and stuff, but particularly like down in uh, what's that place that's near New Orleans, uh, Houston. Um, Houston. That was yeah. always a good place. And, really. Uh, Austin, yeah, they were yeah. good places. Man. They knew what yeah. was going on. Okay. What kind of bands were yeah, you touring I, with? Were you out there with like Susie and the Banshees or something? Who did you go nah, on man. tour with? Oh. We did our own tours. We did, did you our really? Own tours. Nice. Yeah. Okay. The only time we played with other bands, we had support bands. I mean, like, sure. for example, REM, they supported us in, in <laughs> really? uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Because they were just oh, starting great. out, right? And they were on IRS. So, and, you know, we, we we had you two supporting us in England, you know. Oh it's, it was kind of like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, Guns N' Roses supported us in LA, you know. That's incredible! Wow. Yeah. Okay. Were you? Uh, I don't even know. I was a little young and kind of out of touch at the time. Was Lords of the New Church? Would you have viewed that as being even more successful then as than uh, the Damned? I mean, in terms, you know, of like maybe crowd sizes or financially. I know they lasted longer. But was did you feel like you had graduated from one layer of success to the next layer level of success? I, well, I guess guess so. I don't kind of measure it that way. Mm. I measure it like with people having fun and the people that you were with. That, that, 
I mean, the the people in the Lords were really, we were like a gang. Yeah. Now, but the people in the Damned, it was four personalities together, but it, we, it never felt like a gang. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. why it was able to split so easily, well, fracture so easily, yeah. because there was never that kind of gang feel. But with the Lords, including our, the people, our, our crew people as well, we had a couple of guys, one's called Ivor and the other guy called Sticker. And I mean, the, the, the six of us, we were a gang, you know? Yeah. We really yeah. were. We did everything together. We went here, there, and everywhere. we had fun. We had a lot of fun. And so that's why the Lords lasted as long as it did, mm. because... Because it never felt like we was doing a job, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, certain people like management, record companies, and all that tried to get us to take things a bit seriously and all this sort of stuff. But we said, no, we do what we do, you yeah. know. You yeah. want us, you want us, you got us. But don't try and change us too much. That's you know? right. Okay, you guys had you guys did some very interesting covers. You know, there's Hey Tonight. There's like a virgin. Where did you? Where did the ideas for these covers come from? Were you kind of slagging people like Madonna and CCR off, or were did you think this is? We got a really interesting, fresh take on these songs. What goes into the? No, the, the nothing thinking like that. It? No, what okay. it was the, the first one that we covered was the question of temperature on the yes. first album. I love that song. Yeah.
some band called Balloon Fight. I never heard the original, but Stiff told me about it, right? And uh, we worked it out and did it our way. And after that, I mean, like, uh, Hey Tonight, that was through Little Stephen because we did a single with Stephen producing called The Lord's Prayer. Also, uh, um, uh, which was written for us by uh, T.V. Smith, the, the singer from the Adverts, oh. right, who is a friend, oh. good friend. Yeah, okay. he wrote that, right? We was in the studio, say, okay, we got this down, so what are we going to do for a B-side? And we, I'm in an hour, and then Stephen said, how about that song, Hey Tonight? And I'd never heard it, so we, we, we found a copy. I don't know where he found it from. And uh, we, we put that down. You know, <laughs> and when it comes to like a virgin, none of us wanted to do that. our manager oh. idea he thought it'd be a cool gimmick right sure and I, I knew that we we didn't even take when he said it we didn't even take it seriously but unbeknown to us he, he got this um these two people in in the studio i, I don't think they're even proper drummers i think they programmed everything on the bass and drums mm. right mm -hmm. and they and miles sent a car around from where i was living so miles said come down this studio so I get in the car, I go down there. I've been partying all day. I've been drinking and smoking uh -huh. and doing whatever. You know, I've been having fun with my wife sure. and some friends. I walked in there like a total mess. And there's Miles saying, okay, uh, put some guitar on this, right? 
It's like, what? This is rubbish, Mose. Right, oh, come right. on, put it on, put it on. It'll probably never get released anyway, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And so then Steve shows up and he's like, what's going on here? What's going on? You know, so we did it. And next thing we know, Miles has organised a photo session. He's bought. He knows I ain't got no. I ain't got a tuxedo and suit, right? Uh, right. So he brings his suit down for me to wear. I stick that on. I, I feel like a fucking dummy. Uh-huh. And uh, and I take the photo. And the next thing you know, he goes, the, the records in the stores. You That's know, crazy. it was like Jesus. You know, <laughs> and that yeah. was towards the end of the, the Lords. That was yeah. when things started feeling weird with the record company. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your last album, um, the Method of, to Our Madness, comes out in '84. It's it's just as good as all the rest. I really like Murder Style. Obviously, that's such a great track. So when Stiv dies, eventually, I believe it was in 1989, was the band yeah, basically, 90, was it 90? Okay. Was the band yeah. over and done with by that point? Or were you guys just sort yeah. of, oh, they were. We, okay. we, we ran our course. Yeah. He was living in Paris and he got knocked down in Paris. And Okay. Where were you when that happened? Do you remember hearing I, the, getting the news? I was news? in London. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was in London. I was writing songs at that point for like my first solo album. Oh, uh, Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Did you guys remain close? Were you still friends by that point, or had it kind of? We were friends right up until the end. Um, right. And then at the final gig, Stiff walked off one side of the stage, and the rest of the band walked off the other side of the stage. And unfortunately, because he was living in Paris, we never got a chance to say, "Hey, what was that yeah. all about?" You yeah, know. Right. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I love the guy. He was he was uh, he was like a brother to me, you know. Okay. And uh, and his parents and everything about him, you know, it's just yeah. uh, it's tragic that he died. But it, it was is. a time when people were dying. It was so weird. My parents died. Johnny Funders Ooh. died. All yeah. these people, friends dying, left, right, and center. You know. Yeah. Um... He's one of these people, I feel like, a little bit maybe even like Sid Vicious, who's become more famous in death even than they were when they were alive. He sort of uh, becomes kind of an icon or emblematic of a certain uh, attitude or punk rock aesthetic, you know? And I think people, um, who knows what could have happened had that not, had he not passed away. Who knows where he would have ended up, you know? One other thing, a weird question. He famously dated Martha Quinn from... Uh, one of the VJs from early MTV. Did you ever meet her? Yeah. Or have, was she around oh, a lot? Oh, many times. Okay. Yeah, Martha come on tour with us for a, uh, like a couple of weeks and stuff, and 
she was there in Los Angeles when me and Stib were living in Los Angeles for a short spell. Martha was really good. She yeah. was really good for Stib, but she was too kind of straight for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it, things got a little bit out of control for, for Stib and Martha, or for Stib, when Martha started asked, you know, saying, oh, you should wear this, you should dress like mm -hmm. that. And like Stib's like, what? <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of put the mockers... But they were really, really happy together for a, for a period. You know, I know it seems weird, right? It does. But, um, they, you know, sometimes opposites attract, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the strangest celebrity couples ever. Who would have ever guessed? She's America's sweetheart. Yeah. And he's like the king it's, it's, of it, punk rock. And yet yeah. they came together. But yeah. A lovely lady, though. A lovely girl. Good. You know, everybody okay. got on great with her. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. So when, um, you know, your, your solo album comes out around 90 as well. was sort of the case before it seems like a lot of sort of you like you said bouncing around different bands trying different things different solo albums what have you been sort of i, I mean i assume you've always made a career in music what's been some That's of the yeah what have been some of the hallmarks since then i know mad mad for the racket was sort of like a well, all-star band you guys put together in the early 2000s that's right well what happened was my family we moved to to France. We lived in France for a while. Oh. And while I was over there, I, 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 I did like a, a film soundtrack and got a chance to work with Jimmy Miller, the producer, and put an album together with that. And then when we come back to England, because we wanted to, because we, we wanted our sons to have a, an English education, um, I'm kind of like, I'm talking to a friend of mine, a dear friend, who, who said, look, who's going to help me and, you know, try and get things moving again. And uh, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. He said, look, you know all these different musicians. You know just about everybody, right? So why don't you give a few people a ring? And I've been seeing off and on, living in France, I'd see Wayne Kramer when he was passing through and go down and see Wayne and stuff like that. And we were getting on pretty good. So I thought, ah, oh, I phoned Wayne. And then I phoned Stuart. I phoned Clem out of Blondie. I phoned, you know, different people. And um, and Lemmy and sure. loads of different people, right? And uh, in the end, uh, Wayne come back to me and said, "Well, I really want to do this for you, but the thing is, we 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 we've got to have some songs, you know. Mm -hmm. We can't mm -hmm. just go in the because my idea is I go in with Wayne for a few numbers, we write a couple of numbers in the studio, and then I go in with another guitar player and uh, do the same thing. And he's like, 
nah, why don't we just write, let's take a little time out, come on over to LA where we was living, and we write some songs together. So that's what I did. I went over, we wrote some songs, and, uh, and put a few tracks down. We got Stuart in to play some drums and Clem. And yeah. uh, when it comes to a bass player, Lemmy wasn't available. So I, I'd heard this guy playing in Guns N' Roses, right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought his bass playing sounded a lot like Dave in the Lords, right? Mm. Kind of treated his bass a bit more like a rhythm guitar than a, a, a bass bass. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I got a number for, for Duff and uh, met him, had a chat, and, and I said, I, I wondered if you might want to come in. I'm, I'm doing this thing with Wayne, and we've got this drummer and this drummer. Maybe if you want to come in and play a bit of bass on a couple of numbers. He, and uh, Duff just turned around and said, uh, hell no, I ain't doing two numbers. I'm going to come in and do the whole damned album with you. you know? and, and it was like, okay. Was it always intended to be kind of a one-off thing, the Racketeers, or would you, did you think this might last a little while? Nah, it was, it was kind of thought to be a... It was, people had too many commitments, were living in different sure. countries. It, it, you know, it was a thing, let's do it, maybe we can do a few shows, which is what we did. We did like an England and an Irish show, then we did South Southwest and a Los Angeles show, and then it was like, okay, well, like, we're trying to... The managers, the two managers, Wayne's manager and my manager, didn't. They had a bit of a falling out, and it was like, look, as far as I'm concerned, I've had fun. I've worked with one of my heroes, Wayne, and, and played with, you know, other great musicians. It's been a lot of fun. Why, why make it sour? Let's let's do our own things, and who yeah. knows? In a few years' time, maybe we'll get another version together mm. or something. You know, that'd be fun. But, um, that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Guns N' Roses, they, you know, famously covered New Rose on their Spaghetti Incident album. I got a new rose, I got a good Yes, you knew that I, I was one 
and uh, yeah. which you know was not the album that their fans wanted them to make at that time but i'm sure that's the exact album that they wanted to make because we're now the most you know famous powerful band in the world we can do exactly what we want and we want to pay respects yeah. to these punk bands that we grew up on uh one of the things that we talk about on here very sensitively is sort of the money side of things i'm assuming you know punk rock only pays so much you must have gotten some pretty decent mailbox money checks from their cover of your song on their album because they're selling millions I, i'll tell you what um i mean they weren't they didn't sell millions of that that that's record pretty, that's but I, true. I, I got enough that uh, when my parents passed away, the money started coming in from the Guns N' Roses, you know, mm. thing, and that paid for my family to move over to France. Really? So, um, yeah, so that, that was very, very cool because it's exactly what we wanted to do and it couldn't have been timed better, you know. Oh, nice. That was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex oh, that's fascinating. I'm always interested in what, finding out what people do when they reach a level of success, financial success. How do they, you know, what do they choose to do with that money? That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Now, you don't, yeah. you live in well, London I, now, I, I assume, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm back in London now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it was good. I mean, we wanted to go to France. It was great. Um, my son uh, went to school over there, learned, he speaks French fluently now. So whenever he goes over to France, because we go over, we go back and forth quite a bit. I love France, mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he's got that fluent thing going now. You know, he's he's, uh, he's a lucky boy. He's had he's seen things like when he was a kid that maybe you know, if it weren't for Duff and Guns N' Roses, man, that wouldn't have happened. You yeah, know, so it's yeah. like it's funny because when I met up with Duff the first time, we met up in Barney's Beanery, a place in uh, Los Angeles, uh -huh. and uh, for lunch, and uh, he said, "Okay, right, I'll, I'll get this. What do you want?" I said, "Duff." You are not putting your hand in your pocket when you're in my presence, man. If it weren't for you, I couldn't have moved the fucking France. Right, right. right. And so, you know, my family have always had this kind of uh, thing. You know, he knows my wife now. We know his wife. We know right. he knows my son. My son got his mobile phone working for him. No. You know? <laughs> That's and great. So it's a kind of family thing now. It's really, really cool. You know. That's great. Oh, that's good to hear. Fun to have good friends like that. Now, you talking about you personally, you're back in London. Are you, uh, don't take this the wrong way, Are you? have you been married to the same woman this whole time? And how many kids do you we, have? We, yeah, we've, we've been married for like 36 years almost. Whoa, good for you, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud of that too. You know? Yeah, you should and my be. Son, my son's almost 30 years old, you know, he's still at yeah. home and uh, he's got a wonderful girlfriend and he's like, you know, yeah, it's all good, it's all good. good. I'm writing a book at the moment. I'm got A Are lot of really? the things that we've, yeah. we've talked about, it's going to be called The Bleeding Book, right? <laughs> and because uh, that's what it is, a bleeding book. I've been sure. doing it for ages. <laughs> and, <laughs> Great. And... Uh, yeah, so a lot of the things we've touched on, you know, with the Lords and the Damned, yeah. you, you'll be able to read it in in, in uh, proper detail, you know. Oh, good. Bits and bobs. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Um, now, you, what do you, like, what does Brian James do every day? I know in 2015, I think you put out that album, The Guitar That Drips Blood.
That was a lot of fun. That's right. And uh, yeah, so yeah. are you still working on new music? Are you partnering with people? Oh, yeah. Okay, what do oh, you do? for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of working on an album at the moment. Um, with a, a, like I, I usually use like about three or four different drummers for different tracks. I don't know if you've noticed on the album sleeves that I put out, but I use a few drummers. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that. I'm writing this bleeding book. Um, and what do I do? I mean, I, I yeah, <laughs> a gig, a few gigs. We, I okay. don't tend to tour that much at the moment. I've got another gig coming up at Christmas time, and I get up and play with friends. Yeah. Like a, a band called the Dirty Strangers, I get up and play with them quite a lot. Okay. Um, I just play, you know. I play, if yeah. someone's uh, in town and they're playing, they want me to go down and play with them, you know, mess around and yeah, yeah. Okay, and you can pay your bills with you know touring money and royalties yeah. and all that kind but of stuff. But the thing is, you know, I mean, I, I never come, I never come into the music business as such to to make money. Right. My, my whole thing was I, I had no choice. I just wanted to play guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've been so fortunate over the years to be able to make enough to, to put a roof over me head, get food, get a nice bottle of wine maybe, yeah. you know. And I, I, I've got a wonderful family. So yeah. to me, I don't need millions of pounds. Jesus yeah. Christ. I wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. I'd probably give it away. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it's, no, I right. wouldn't. I'd probably kill myself on too much wine <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm the, I'm the luckiest guy alive as far as I'm concerned. Good for you. Because you know, I'm Good still you, doing Brian. it. I'm still, after all these years, I'm still getting away with it. Yeah. Jesus, you know? That's amazing. Well, you're a legend. Um, okay, let me <laughs> ask you just a couple more random questions before I let you go. Number one. Did Madonna, did you ever hear any response from Madonna about how she felt about your version of Like a Virgin? Nah. Have you ever sure. met her or come across anything nah, at all? No, nah. no. Okay, I nah, didn't think so. It's, but... it's a different world, different world. Of course it is. The one yeah. I live in, yeah. Okay. And then, um, now you early, early on, going back a ways, you were part of the London SS, and that's one of these bands that's right. that has sort of, they're sort of infamous. Can you explain to us exactly yeah. what the London SS is? The London SS was, um, I mean, it was never a real proper band. What it was, uh, I was living over in Brussels with my band Bastard. And one, one year I come back for Christmas, see me parents and all this sort of stuff. And I looked in a, in a paper, in a music paper called Melody Maker. And they used to, you, you had ads for, for bands and you had ads for, for musicians looking mm-hmm. for bands, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw this ad for this, uh, it mentioned the Stooges. Now, this was a time when hardly anybody knew about the Stooges. I thought, well, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So I phoned them up. I went and saw these guys, a guy called Mick and another guy called Tony. And uh, I said, look, I'm playing with a band called Bastard um, at the moment. Living, we're living in Brussels. And, uh, but um, I'm interested in what you guys are up to. And I gave them a tape. And... Uh, they had to listen to it, and they loved what what it was all about. And uh, they said, "Look, come over. Can you get, come back? Or what, what's going on?" And, and this this time, Bastard was kind of like fracturing. People mm-hmm. were getting married to French girls and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's what happens. Yeah. And uh, so I thought, yeah, it's time time to uh, go to London and uh, team up with these guys and see where it goes. Well, we. The uh, one guy, Tony, he was a bass player, right, Tony James, and mm-hmm. the other guy was Mick Jones, who was yeah. a guitar player, songwriter too. 
And so we started advertising for a singer and a drummer. And uh, one of the people, we had a whole bunch of different people coming, all kinds of people, you know, people mm-hmm. are used to playing cruises and oh, mm-hmm. all kinds, you know. Mm-hmm. You try and vet them on the phone and they just basically lie and they come down right. and they don't know what you would, you know, they had no right. idea the music you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, this drummer come down and... Uh, and he just proceeded to smash the hell out of the kit that was down there. Mm. And uh, I thought, I like this guy. This uh-huh. guy's got uh, twice as much attitude as anybody in, uh, that we've seen. And uh, I liked him. And Mick and Tony, they didn't like him so much. They didn't think he looked rock and roll. Mm. Now, I didn't care what he looked like. It's what he sounded like that I cared about, right? Sure. And uh, so we, we shot off and formed a dam. You know, that was rap. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So London SS, you know, it, 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 the people in London SS back then never did a gig. Never, never, never. Yeah. You know, next thing, next thing you know, Mick started the clash with um, Paul Simidon, who came down while I was there to audition as a singer. Really? He couldn't play bass then. He, he came down to audition as a singer. And Mick taught, taught him how to play bass. Tony went off and did, first of all, Chelsea, then Generation X, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know. All that stuff, yeah. That, that was it. So it was a kind of melting pot of it sure different was. musicians meeting yeah. each other, really, London yeah. SS. And in yeah. that way, it was interesting. You know? Okay. I've always wondered. Yeah. Um, so I got, I got two questions that I always close all these things out with. Number one, I want to know if you have any regrets, if there's any decision that you made along the way where you think, ah, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Things would have turned out a little differently. And if you have no regrets, that's perfectly fine. And then the other thing is, I just want to know what your tastiest memory is. When you look back at your career, you've done so much, worked with so many great people. When you look back and you think, I cannot believe that happened to me. What is that thing? Oh, boy. Um, number one, no regrets. I ain't got no regrets. Good. No, no. Good. Um, no point. No point. You know, look forward, not back, you know. You yeah. learn by things, even if things are like you think, oh, I could have done that better or in a different way. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you did it that way and you learned your lesson. Bam. Yeah. You know, who yeah. wants to change your learning process, you know? Right. And I don't know, one thing, there's been so many great things, you know, like, I don't know if you mean gigs or... Could be anything. Or, or, the first time you heard it on the radio, the first... You know, when you wrote a song, that burst of inspiration, when you met a hero, you know, or when you played a well, really... Great show. Anything. I've got to say, I've got to say, the, the first time I heard the the, the, the um, new rose that mm-hmm. Nick had done and the production and everything like that, when I heard it, I thought, that's great. Yeah. If it all stops now, I don't care. I don't care if I'm not <laughs> in a proper band no more. You know, right. it, it, uh, uh, that is wonderful. That's great, right? Yeah. But also, I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's gigs. I remember playing like... Um, with Iggy, certain shows we played the, the Palladium in New York on Halloween night, and everyone mm. was dressed up in Halloween stuff, and the show was great. The cramps opened for us, and it oh, was wow. just a magical night. I remember a show at the Roundhouse with the, with the dams when uh, we, we were, there was us, there was the adverts, and Motorhead playing. Oh, you know, wow. we were top of the bill. It was a great gig. All the you know the bands really complimented each other, and it was a big party. Yeah. Um, 
But I know so many, okay. so many different things, you know. Okay. Like playing with a lot different Lords gigs. Jesus yeah. Christ. We played like one time, we, we had a couple of shows at the Ritz in New York, and we'd have mm. like little Stephen Gup with us, Ian McLagan from The Faces, and all sure. that. Playing Crazy. keyboards. All these different players getting up and having fun, you know. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, really. That know? is great. But then, on a personal level, I mean, I'm not really answering your question there because I'm giving you a whole bunch. I love but, it. Of course, meeting my wife was a turning point yeah. in my life. Being at the birth of my son, that was yeah. probably the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. I'm, I don't know, have you got kids? I do. I have three little kids, yeah. Were you there when they were born? I was, yeah. It's incredible, right? Isn't that the most everything. amazing thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is. You know, so it's kind of hard. Musically, yeah. there's different things, but personally, there's different things too. You know, and yeah. how do you say one's better than the other? You know, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. You know? That's great. Well, Brian, uh, okay. I love everything you do. I uh, have been a fan of yours since I was a teenager and just getting to know like what crazy music is out there. And, you know, it's kind of blowing my little innocent mind and you were instrumental in making that happen. Thank you for talking to me. I love you. And I'm so grateful that you chatted with me. It's good to talk to you, John. And I'll you tell too. you, I feel guilty for doing these things to you. <laughs> <laughs> I turned out fine. Don't you, worry about it. But, uh, no, 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 I'm joking with you. But, um... <laughs> there you have it, Brian James. Wasn't that fun? I, I I feel so lucky to have talked to him and Steve Diggle from the Buzzcocks back to back. I hope you guys appreciated this. I love British punk music, and I loved hearing from these guys specifically. And I hope you guys heard a lot of stuff that maybe you hadn't heard in a while, or if you weren't familiar with his solo material, or the collaborations, or Lords of the New Church, or whatever. Hope you heard some new stuff that you like. I want to close it out with a song. This is a single that he put out under his own name in 1982 called Why, Why, Why. And the drummer on this song is Stuart Copeland. How about that? Anyway, a great guy. Now, next week... He's, I wouldn't, we're, that's the end of Punk Legends, but this guy did, he's more of a session musician, and he's played with people like Bowie and Iggy Pop, and so there's a lot of stories there. Hopefully you guys will enjoy that one too. Uh, I think that's where we're going to go next week, and in the meantime, we should be putting out a bonus episode on Thursday, hopefully, if all goes well, with a member of that band that's up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. I wanted to hurry and get it out in time for people to vote for them if they wanted to. So anyway, that should be coming up this week as well. Uh, we also had Yan the Man back this week. Thanks, Yan, for everything, for putting everything together. And another huge thanks to Aaron Syrett, the OG, for helping us out the last couple of weeks. You guys know the drill. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We put out new episodes every Tuesday, and uh, we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.